Well, good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab them and go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Uh, as you can tell, we don't take ourselves very seriously around here, but we take our relationship with God very, very seriously. And I have no idea where we find those kids, but uh, they say all kind of stuff, don't they? Hey, listen, it's obviously Mother's Day, and we want to say Happy Mother's Day. Can we give a hand to all the mamas in the room? Um, and so, uh, moms, you make the world go round, all right? I mean, without you, imagine the mess this world would be in without moms, right? Moms are just a picture of the gospel. They never stop pursuing. They, there's no mess too big. They love no matter what. And so, happy Mother's Day to you. And um, watching my wife be a mom really helps me appreciate my mom. Amen, dads, right? And all the mess that she went through with me. So, uh, Happy Mother's Day. We're so stoked that you're here. Also, there's another group of women that are here, and you're not a mom, nor did you ever want to be, and you say, thank God, right? So don't feel some kind of church pressure like everybody's got to be a mom. And then there's a third group, or or maybe more. Maybe there's lots of groups. I've never been a mom or a woman, so I'm not sure. I'm guessing. But uh, there's some of you, lots of you in the room, and, and Mother's Day is super painful. For a number of reasons, uh, some of you want to be a mom more than anything you're made of, and it hasn't happened for you yet, or maybe it's not happening the way you hoped. And uh, one of the things, we were talking about this on staff, uh, one-third of the families on our staff have, have um, walked through either um, miscarriage or infertility or something along those lines. And so we just want you to know that you are loved and you are in, this, you're in the right place, and we just love you and want to walk with you. Um, some of you, Mother's Day is tough because, because of your mom. Your relationship with your mom is not awesome. And it doesn't just bring up the greatest feelings ever when you think about your mom. Some of you, what you need to do today on Mother's Day, even, even though it's not going to be easy and, and you don't think it's your fault, that maybe today could be a day of reconciliation for you and you could just call your mom and just go for it. Um, for some of you, Mother's Day is tough on the other end of it because maybe you've got a prodigal child and... And it's just, I mean, you prayed with everything you're made of, and it's not turning out exactly the way that you wanted to. I just want you to know, just by the power of the gospel, you just hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. And just know this, that we love you, and, and that this is not a church for perfect people or perfect moms, but, but you, we want to be the kind of church that just walks alongside of you and walks with you. And I'd just like to point out one thing, especially if you've, your heart's desire has to has been to be a mom and it just hadn't happened yet for you the way that you hoped it would or it's not going to the way you hoped and prayed that it would, is when the very first woman was created, uh, she was named Eve. That word Eve, that name Eve means the mother of all living things. And check this out. She was given that name and she had no kids at that point. And she she was called mom by God before she ever bore children. So listen, for all of you that kind of have that mom thing working in you, regardless of whether you have kids or not, uh, that that part of being in the family of God at the church is that you can exercise that mom gene by being a part of this family. You can do it by volunteering in our our children's ministry or volunteering in our student ministry or all throughout the scripture. The Bible says that the older women ought to disciple or pour into the younger women. And all of that is a part of what it means to be a mom. Some people have babies, some people adopt, and that's a part of being a mom. And then some people are just kind of church mothers that help pour into uh, the next generation. And we as a church wouldn't be who we were or who we are without moms like you. So if you could, would you bow your head? And I just want to pray for kind of all of those groups of people. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I lift up you right now. Um, 
Lord, the women in this place, and you have not called them to, be a, uh, to, to have children, Lord, and God, would they just rest in that? Lord, I pray for the ones whose heart's desire has been to have kids, and then today is just a tough day for them. Holy Spirit, would you comfort them? And Lord, would you help them exercise what it means uh, to, to disciple another generation into maturity in you, God? And would you help them, maybe even this day, uh, figure out what that looks like for them in their lives? God, I, I, I pray that you would comfort those, that Mother's Day is a tough day. And then, God, we praise you and we thank you for mamas. Lord, I thank you for my mama who loved me unconditionally, no matter what, no matter how many times I screwed up, no matter how many times I lied, no matter how many times I skipped my knee, no matter how many windows in our house I broke, God, she never stopped loving me. And thank you that she can be a picture of your love for me, that you've never given up and you've never stopped loving me. And God, we thank you and we praise you for all the moms in this room and in this church. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 14, uh, we are in week three of this series called On the Road, and we have been following, uh, we've been following Paul and Barnabas as they are on this road trip, going to different cities and proclaiming the gospel, and um, when I got to this part of the text, it kind of reminds me of like a, a kind of a, a rock band being on tour, and so we're going to talk about kind of being a rock star at church just a little bit and what that's all about. So we'll pick it up in Acts 14, beginning in verse 1. Now... At Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, let me stop here. That's the way I want to speak. I feel like that's my job. That my job each and every week is to speak like these guys spoke, um, in such a way that a great number of people could believe. Now, theologically speaking, I can't make you believe anything. Only the Holy Spirit can make you believe. But it is my job not to try to impress you with how much Bible I know, but it's, it's my job to try to take the Word of God each and every week and deliver it in such a way that you can understand it. It doesn't do me any good to preach in such a way that's super impressive to my homiletics professor in seminary, and he's dead, so I don't think he'd be impressed anyway. But, uh, and it's, not, it's also not my job to try to impress you with how brilliant I am, all right? Um, that would be impossible because I'm not that brilliant, but there's a lot of preachers that, that, that just kind of preach confusing messages, and you know that happens. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those. Uh, I remember some of my seminary professors, when they would preach chapel, and we would sit in the back, and everybody would moo a lot. He would say things. We'd go, mm, he is so deep. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. So it must be deep, right? And so people would just kind of leave confused. That is not my job. My job is to take the Word of God and deliver it in such a way that you can understand and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would believe. And so what I love here, too, is that both Jews and Greeks believe. In other words, the Jewish folks were the religious people that kind of grew up in that system. They knew all the books of the Bible. They knew all the Old Testament stories. They knew that. And that the Greeks were kind of the non-religious folks that had just kind of started showing up to the deal. So that's our hope at the Church of 1122. I mean, we're a movement for all people. Whether you are, you've known Jesus for a long, long time and you're all in and you're a fully dedicated, fully devoted follower of Jesus, or if you're brand new to the thing and you're not even quite sure you believe all this stuff yet. That I want to preach in such a way that for the longtime Christian, you can show up with a knife and a fork and get the meat and potatoes of the Word of God. It's why we just rock through the book of Acts verse by verse by verse. And yet also preach in such a way that if you are brand new to the thing, that it makes sense to you and you can understand. I feel like my job is kind of like a transformer outside of your house. 
you know, you've got the power running through the power lines. If you plugged your, uh, you your hairdryer into it, it would blow things up. But that transformer takes that power and, and then converts it in such a way that you can plug into your socket in your home and it's super usable. Now, everybody, we all, we believe in what's called the priesthood of believers. Everybody has the same access to Jesus that we all do. But, uh, you know, I'm the pastor and I get to study this stuff all the time. And so my job is to take the word of God and communicate it in such a way that you can believe. That's what I try to do each and every week. It's why I pretty much, here's the secret to my sermons, we read a verse, that's what that means, read a verse, that's what that means. Oh, it reminds me of a story. And I tell a story. That's kind of how we do for about an hour every Sunday, all right? Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Remember last week we said anytime the gospel goes out, there's a dividing line. Some people receive it uh, uh, gleefully and some people reject it. Verse 3, and so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. So the reason Paul and Barnabas are going to stay in Iconium for a long time is because they desired to make disciples and not just converts. And then the way they did it is by speaking the word of God boldly. Can I just tell you, that's, those two things are two of the top goals in my life. That our plan, my family's plan, is to stay here for a long time. Um, when we moved here, Gretchen and I moved to Jacksonville 10 years ago, our prayer was this, dear God, we'll go anywhere in the world that you call us to go, but can we just stay there until we die? And, and that, that really was. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, and he's a good dad and wants to give us good gifts, and I was like, all right, I'm your kid, so here, dad, here's what we're asking for. We're not telling you what to do. We want to be obedient to whatever you call us to do. We'll go anywhere, but once we get there, could we just put roots down and stay all of our days? And so... Uh, I was the youth pastor at Beach, and little did I know I'd be the founding pastor of this church. And so our roots are in Jacksonville. We want to stay here uh, to, to make disciples, okay? There's nothing as encouraging as sputtering applause. That's awesome. So uh, <coughs> you're going to feel bad about, for clapping for me in a little while, too. Uh, so one of, our, uh, one of our elders, one of the things he did, this is just one of the greatest gifts we've ever been given. Uh, the elder board at the Church of 1122 planted an oak tree right out in the back here in front of that modular, planted an oak tree in our name. That's the, the Martin tree, or I don't know what we call it, but that's what it is. And so I've seen those kind of trees, you know, at, at libraries and schools, and I thought, oh, yeah, whatever, but until I got my tree. And then it got, it was pretty awesome. And Rusty Pritchett, the guy that, it was his idea, he was telling me just about how the roots would grow deep, and it would provide shade one day, and people would, you know, staff would just sit on picnic tables and eat under its shade, and it was about longevity, and I can tell you this, every Sunday when we're done here and we get our kids and we park out back, and so we're walking out back, and my three-year-old little girl will say, Daddy, that's our tree. And it just reminds me that we're just going to be rooted in this community, hopefully all the days that we have left. And, um, and in fact, you know, in September will be our one-year anniversary, and I've thought about one of the things that I want to do maybe every year is, I don't know if I'll write or probably just film a video to give to the next pastor of the Church of 1122. Because, you know, I'm going to do this all the days. God will let me. And then at some point, some other dude will be pastor in this church. And one of the things I want to do is just give him permission and freedom to lead however God calls him to lead. So just point people to the cross. But if you need to change it all, change it all. If you need to change service times, change it. If you need to change the way we do something, change it. If you need to change the name, it's a silly name, isn't it? I know. Somebody made a bumper sticker. We couldn't help it, all right? I wouldn't name it that again, but it's, it is what it is. If you need to change that, change it. But don't mess with my tree. All right, don't mess with my tree. And so, 
It's just because for me, it's just a picture of what it looks like to be rooted in a community for a long, long time, not just to try to grow a crowd, but to make disciples. And the way he did this was speaking boldly for the Lord. Um, if you've been here a little while, you realize that I, I mean, I think I speak boldly for the Lord. And the reason I speak boldly and just tell you like it is, is because I love you too much to soft sell the gospel. I love you too much to try to attract you with, hey, here's three ways to make your life better. I love you too much to, to tell you that you're okay and everybody likes you. That's not how it is that I, I love you enough to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that by nature you are you are an enemy of God, and yet he loves you so much that he sent his son to reconcile you to him. And so we won't spend a lot of time on just happy, smiley, preacher face, okay? We will spend the majority of, of our time just walking through the gospel and then just watching God do what he does. And so that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing here. They remain for a long time. They speak boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. I love this part. You know, um, theological debate ends when the miracles begin. You realize that, right? That you and I can debate about, um, uh, well, what does this mean? And what does God think about that? And are you sure that this happens? But if I can make a blind guy see, the debate's over, I won, right? You can debate life after death, but if I can tell a dead guy he's not allowed to be dead anymore and he gets back up from the dead, the debate's over. You don't have to talk about what the Hebrew word for that is. You just see that and go, well, maybe God is just flexing. And so that's what's going on here. As the Iconian uh, Gentiles and Jews want to debate with them, then God just shows up and starts doing these miracles and the debate's over, verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. So they stayed there as long as they could, but right before they're about to get killed, they leave. The great 20th century prophet said it this way, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Students, you might want to Google that. I think it's a Bible verse. I'm not sure. <laughs> Makes me want to eat chicken, though. All right, verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. One of the things that we see in, in this On the Road series is that as Paul and Barnabas go out, they just preach the gospel wherever they are. They understand that missions is not about where you are, but it's who you are. So we are a going church. We've got at least 13 trips this year. We'll probably double those for next year. We constantly want to be sending people out, uh, and then we want most of you to come home. The reason is we want you to understand what it's like to be on mission and then realize you don't have to be in another context to be on mission, that you're just on mission wherever you are. And so what these guys do is they just talk about what's important to them regardless of where they are, and what's important to them is the gospel. And so, verse 8. <clears throat> now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could, who could not use his feet. And he was crippled from birth, and he'd never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be, to be made well. Let's stop right there for a second. So Paul's preaching, and he sees this guy, and he looks into this guy's eyes, and he sees that this man has enough faith to be made well. So let's just ask, well, how much faith is that? Because some of you feel like, well, I don't have enough faith to be made well. I mean, that's my problem. I keep showing up and I'm trying to believe, but I just can't believe. So how much faith does it take to be made well? And in fact, some of you have heard some messages from preachers that's really, that, that kind of talks about, you know, God sort of judging your faith meter. 
And when your faith begins to redline, then maybe God will come through for you. And you need to do some faith push-ups or something and get your faith going. Um, some, uh, some people kind of believe that, you know, like when you do, put the little turkey thermometer in the turkey, and when it hits that, when it's done, ding, turkey's done. Some of you think that's how God works. That God's got a little faith thermometer in you, and then when you get to the right faith, then bing, uh, your faith's done, and now I can unleash uh, blessing and miracles upon you. Well, the problem of that would be the scriptures, right? One of the things that we need to do is, is always let the Bible tell us what the Bible means. And so if you begin to walk through the New Testament, especially um, what Jesus talks about faith. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about faith a little bit and how much faith does it take to move a mountain? Mustard seed size faith. Tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of faith. That Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say that this mountain move. Why? Because it's not the amount of your faith, but it's where you direct that faith. You can put an inordinate amount of faith in something that is not powerful enough to do anything. And it does nothing. And Jesus says, you put a tiny little bit of faith in the almighty sovereign God. And that's how much faith it takes for you to be made well. So if you're in here this morning and you're thinking, well, I don't have a lot of faith. You would make a great disciple. You would make a great disciple. In fact... <clears throat> Remember when Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat and they were out on the Sea of Galilee and a storm was there and the wind and the waves were coming and the boat's rocking and all of the disciples were freaking out because they thought they were going to die. Remember what Jesus was doing? He's taking a nap. You see, so this afternoon when I lay my head down and watch the TPC and I drift off to sleep, I'm just trying to be like Jesus, amen? <laughs> and then what happens, the, the disciples come down and they're afraid because they think they're going to die and they wake him up and they say, Master, we're about to die and he gets up in the top of the boat and you know he's just ticked off because they woke him up from his nap and he looks at the wind and waves and he says calm down and then he looks at his disciples and he says ye of little faith how long must I endure you he's like y'all getting on my nerves wake me up from my nap all right that's what he said to the disciples ye of little faith and, and, and some of you feel that way. You keep showing up to church and you feel like you just got a little bit of faith I'm telling you you are in the right spot you would make a great disciple and if I'm honest, and I know it's this church, there's no place for honesty, but if I'm honest, there's times where I'm right there too. And I know I'm the leader, the pastor, I'm in charge, and follow me. But there are times where I'm going, Lord, I believe I'm in. I'm all in to the best I know how to be. But God, there's still some things over here I can't explain and I don't understand. And I'm afraid, God. And, and, and I just take that little bit of mustard seed size faith. And the other thing, um, like, you know, it, it's impossible to... Like, make your own faith grow? How do you do that? Because some of you have tried it, right? You kind of go, get more faith, and just try to get some faith. And then you meet your cousin or somebody, and they just believe like crazy. I'm like, how do you believe like you believe? Because I can't. It's like trying to go to sleep. You ever try to go to sleep? I have the spiritual gift of sleeping, okay? I'm so good at it. I can't even describe how good at it I am. Every night, I lay my head down. On the way, it's just boom. My wife, she can't sleep. Everything has to be perfect. The stars have to be aligned and the planet's just right and the noise machine to a thing. And every time I exhale, she wakes up, right? And so sometimes she gets aggravated and she's like, how can you just sleep? And I'm like, I don't know, but watch, I'll show you again. Boom, and I go right back to sleep. And if you try to sleep, it just makes it worse. That's kind of how faith can be. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to their measure of faith that God has assigned. Who assigns your faith? God. That, that faith is a gift from God. 
But the faith that you have, God plants in there. Now, what you do is you take that little seed of faith that God plants and you get yourself in an environment that helps that grow. And then you just watch God do his thing. One of my favorite stories about faith, I talk about it all the time, is in Mark chapter 9. There's this dad, and he comes to Jesus, and he's got a son who is possessed by a demon. It's probably a middle schooler, all right? It's probably what it is. And he comes up to Jesus and says, if you can, would you heal my son? And Jesus is like, what do you mean, if I can? You know? Like, he doesn't say all this. I say all this. He's, he's like, I'm sovereign God Almighty. I can do whatever I want to me if I can. But what he replies to the guy is, Nothing is impossible for those who believe. And remember the dad's response. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And how does Jesus respond to his lack of faith? Does he say, back of the line, sucker. Uh-uh. You got to get your faith push up on or do something. or tie. No. He heals the guy's son. When you've got that much faith, God, I believe and help me overcome my unbelief. Then... Paul would look at you and say, yep, you've got enough faith to be made well. Why? Because it's not you and your faith that makes you well. It's the almighty, sovereign God that gets all the glory. See, because if it was your faith level that made you well, then you would take some credit for you being well. And, and the Bible's going, no, that's not how it works. He gets all the glory because it all comes from him. And so if you just got that little bit of faith, then that's enough faith to be made well. Verse 10. And so Paul's going to say this. He looks intently at him, seeing that he had the faith to be made well. And he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. Now see, here's the faith of Paul. Because if I'm going to do a miracle, here's probably how it's going to go for me. I'd probably lean over to the guy and whisper, hey dog, if you can hop up real quick, go ahead, right? (laughs) And then if he did, I'd be like, everybody saw what just happened? Tell him what I said. I told him to do that, right? That's what you would do. But if you whisper it and he doesn't do anything, nobody hears you. But if you say it out loud, everybody listen, stand up. And then the guy pops up. So you put it out there. Do you know there's some of you who've been showing up week after week after week. This is your fourth week in a row. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you saying, get up and walk. And you're like, I don't know. And I'm telling you, it's time for you to get up, to spring up and walk. And quit just kind of leaning up for an hour and then laying back down in your mess for the rest of the week. And so Paul says to this guy, get up, and he springs up, and he walks. Now, what I want to spend the rest of our time on is the reaction or the response to this miracle. Because essentially what's going to happen in the first century is what often happens in the 21st century. That so many people see a mighty move of God, and they confuse the messenger with the message. Because in just a second, what's going to happen is this crowd is going to begin to try to worship Paul. Because he does this miracle. Instead of worshiping the God of the miracle, they worship the messenger. And it's crazy to think about. It's crazy to think about what's happening in in American evangelicalism. How we've turned Christianity into into this idea or into this kind of subculture where they're like famous Christians. Can you imagine if you brought some of the original 12 disciples into the modern day church? And they saw things like the Dove Awards. Like, what? Y'all give out awards for the best Christian song? That's kind of weird because you're singing about one who gave up everything. And you get an award for that? And and I'm for the Dove Awards. That's fine. If you ever write a Christian song and get a Dove Award, God bless you. All right? That's cool. Or how about this? We just, our church got contacted by Outreach Magazine. Outreach Magazine is a great magazine. It's a church magazine. I know some of you are new to church. You're like, you have church magazines? Yeah. All right. Just like you have plumbing magazines or whatever, we have church magazines. Okay? (laughs) 
And, and Outreach Magazine contacted us, wanted us to fill out this uh, form because it, it ranks the, the top 100 fastest growing church every year, right? And, and I'm, I'm a bit hesitant to fill out the information because we follow a Savior that says, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. And so I don't know what to put on the form. Maybe I just put, we only have two people. It's me and my wife, right? And well, you're first in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what to do. It just seems like a weird thing when, when our Savior says, if you want to be the best, you've got to be the least or the last. And yet we rank, we rank churches in a top 100 list. And so it happens all the time. It happens all the time where God does something. He does a mighty move. And we as people tend to worship the messenger instead of the one that sent the message. And so this is what is going to happen right here. So verse 11, this is after the miracle. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. To which if I'm Paul, I'm like, yo, dog, I get to be Zeus, all right? I'm the boss. Who's Hermes? I don't even know who that is. I want to be the lightning bolt guy. So, but he doesn't get to choose. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Now, the reason that they identify these two men as these two Greek gods is there was a Lyconian legend that went like this, that that Zeus and Hermes had come down hundreds of years before, and they had done some miracles in the town. And one family took Zeus and Hermes into their home for dinner that night, and nobody else in the city paid homage to that those two gods. And so those two gods killed everybody in the city. So that was kind of this, uh, that was this first century folklore that was going around this city. So when they see a miracle, they say, we ain't going out like the guys that went out last time. So we're going to worship uh, Paul and Barnabas as gods. Verse 13. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought an oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. When you would tear your garments in biblical times, it was a sign of mourning. It was to represent just like your garment would be torn on the outside and people would see it. It was to represent that this is breaking my heart. This is tearing me apart on the inside. Because you've got to imagine, Paul and Barnabas, what their whole life is about is, hey, we're going to come into your city, and we're going to tell you, don't worship an idol, worship the one true God. And now what they realize is that the people that are worshiping an idol, and the idol's them. And they're going, oh, no, this is the exact opposite of what we were trying to get you to do. We wanted you to surrender your life to Jesus and worship him alone, because he's the only one worthy of worship. And in our attempt to 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 do miracles in the name of Jesus. Now you're worshiping us instead of the miracle maker. And so it breaks their heart. It, it, it's kind of freaking them out. They tear their clothes and they rush out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Essentially, what he's trying to do is just trying to take the spotlight off of himself and point it towards God. He's like, look, we've never made it rain. We don't make the sunshine. The one true God is the only one that does that, and he's the only one worthy of worship. Verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Again, Paul is pleading with the people, whoa, whoa, you're worshiping the wrong people. Don't put me up on the pedestal. I don't deserve to be there. You worship the one that went to the cross, not me. 
that I'm not the one that did the miracle, that God did the miracle. I was just the messenger, and that is it. And part of the reason is because Paul knows that what you idolize, that you will demonize. That if you put your faith, your hope, your trust, if you put it in anything but Christ, you'll be let down. So if you put it in me, I promise I'll let you down. That's what Paul knows. So they're, they're, they're trying to worship him. They're calling him a god. They're trying to sacrifice ox and goats and things to him. And he knows what's going to happen next. If you were to keep reading in the text there, guess what happens right after this? After they try to worship him, when he says, no, 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 I'm not worthy to be worshipped, only worship God, you know what the next thing that group tries to do? They try to stone him. They try to kill him. So you always got to beware of the group of people that want to come and praise you. Because let's just be honest, we like it a little bit too much, don't we? And when you get put up on that pedestal as if you are a God, and then they realize that you are not God and cannot meet their needs, then here comes the stones. They're going to kill you next. And so Paul knows that. And so the truth is, Paul knows what we all know, is that idols always promise what they cannot fulfill. And that only Jesus can give you what you really need. He's the only one that answers his promises every single time. And we have a tendency to worship. We have a tendency to idolize. We are idol factories. And you put your hope and your faith in your church, in your denomination, in your pastor, in your wife, in your husband, in your mom, in your dad. You put your faith or your hope or your trust in anything temporary. You're just setting up that person for failure because they cannot handle the weight of the cross. They can't handle it. They can't even give you all the things that you need and want for them to give you. And Paul recognizes that. So that's why he's saying, hey, listen, we're just, we're just people just like you. And so in verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So even when they went to him and said, no, 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 don't worship us, don't worship us, they could barely keep the people from worshiping them. Why? Because we were made to worship something. It's how God created us. When God created us in his image, he created us to worship him. And then what has happened is when the enemy comes along in Genesis 3 and twists and sin enters the world, then what gets twisted is we're going to worship something. We're going to worship something. Anything less than worshiping the Lord will leave us wanting. And again, we can worship good things and try to make them God things, and then that is a bad thing. You see, in the beginning, when God created all things, he created them good. And he created all of these things to stir in us worship to him. Like when God created the burrito, he did that for worship. Not for the burrito's sake and not for your sake, but that you would eat the burrito and you would go, praise God, how in the world did you go flank steak and onions and bell peppers and cheese wrapped in a tortilla and I eat that and bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless the Lord, all that is within me, including the burrito, praise you, God. And you know that all good gifts come from God. When God gave the gift of wine, and you drink good wine, not box wine, good wine, you would praise God. When God gave people the gift of sex. I mean, you want to know if we serve a good God? Listen to this, fellas. He invented sex. It wasn't your idea. It was God's idea. He could have decided to make babies any way you wanted. He could have had your wife's toes fall off and turn into children, right? He could have done it any way. And he went, oh, I got an idea. Praise God. All right, that's what's supposed to happen but all of it is supposed to turn our hearts towards worshiping God. And then sin comes into the world and the twist of the enemy. And instead of uh, you eat food and praise God, you've got gluttony on one hand and you've got eating disorders on the other. And it's a twist. We begin to worship the created things instead of the creator. 
Or instead of receiving good wine and saying, praise God, it becomes alcoholism and has control of people. Or do you live in this sex-saturated society where, where there's so many broken hearts because we're not doing things God's way? You see, we were created to worship. You're going to worship something. You're going to worship something. You know how I know that? Remember last year when the Jags were, we had won two games? And we're still all there worshiping. All right, we're going, come on, Jags. Look, the empirical evidence is, sit down and shut up, it's hopeless, all right? But it doesn't matter. I'm there too, screaming, come on, we can do it. Do what? Nothing. <laughs> My favorite college football team, right, the Georgia Bulldogs, you know, what our, you know how our fight song starts? Glory, glory to old Georgia. Right, it's in most Baptist hymnals in Georgia, I do believe, but we sing it every Saturday. We are there, we are going to worship something, and what Paul knows here. And what you and I know is you worship anything but God and you'll be let down. And so that's why Paul comes out and he tears his clothes and says, don't worship me. Don't worship me. You've got to worship God. You see, I'm so glad that Paul knows this early. Because all throughout the Bible, there are instances of great leaders where God is doing great things. And either God has to humble them or they have to choose humility. But their knee will bow. They can either, they can bow their knee or they can bow their knee. Those are your options. And so like in Joshua, Joshua is this great Old Testament leader. Moses, Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they kind of wander around the desert for a while. Then he goes up on a mountain, does his quiet time, never comes back. And so then Joshua's in charge. He's, he's the boss of everybody. And so he lines up all the people, gets all of the nation of Israel lined up and says, follow me, boys. And he crosses over Jordan. And then when he gets over Jordan, he's kind of starting to feel like the man, right? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for I am with you. And he's kind of feeling like, oh, these are my people. And I'm about to rock uh, Jericho. God tells him I have given that city into your hands. And right before he goes into Jericho to, to take over that city, he starts feeling pretty awesome about himself. And he steps up one day and there's an angel of the Lord. This is Joshua chapter five, one of my favorite favorite Old Testament stories. And there's this angel of the Lord, and he steps out with his sword drawn, and Joshua, thinking he's awesome, walks up to the angel of the Lord and says, are you with me or are you against me? And the angel of the Lord replies, no. I, I love it. No. No, you don't even get to ask that question, Hoss. All right? Am I with you or against you? No. I'm not a part of your story. If you play your cards right, you might get to be a part of mine. That's how this works. Now take off your shoes for your own holy ground. Joshua figures out where he is, and he's like, dang, takes off his shoes, and he's just like, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. <laughs> right? And then when he's humble, God's able to use him to go into the promised land, but not until then. Or you can go to New Testament and go to the Apostle Peter. I preached on this for like a year before we launched this church in Caesarea Philippi. It's recorded in the book of Matthew. Jesus has got his disciples, and he looks at him and says, who do people say that I am? They answer all kind of crazy stuff. And then he says to Peter, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter. The Greek word for, for rock is Petra or Peter. And so he changes his name to Rocky. And he said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know what Peter's thinking? Dun, 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 dun. I mean, he thinks, oh, it's on now, baby. We're going to do this. Y'all can hush about I can't walk on water. I am rocky. In the same chapter, in the same chapter, Jesus begins to describe the cross to Peter. Okay, now the way we're going to build this, Peter, is I'm going to suffer and die for your sins on the cross. And Peter's like, no, I'm rocky. I would never let you die like that. We're going to build this thing on me. And you know what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. And it's not until he is humbled that he is ready to be the leader of the disciples. 
And any time, see, God will do amazing things. And sometimes, let's just be honest, we kind of like the praise, don't we? We like the nickname the Lord gives us. Rocky, man, that kind of sounds kind of awesome. And then we want to get a little bit of glory for ourselves. Anytime we try to step in and claim glory for us when God's really the one doing it all, guess whose team we are playing for? It ain't the Lord's anymore. Jesus would say to us, get behind me, Satan. Or Jesus' first cousin, John the Baptist. He's the one that baptizes Jesus. He's got these huge crowds of people. He's out by the Jordan. It's kind of weird. got crazy hair, weird, wears weird clothes, eats weird food. And he says... Uh, prepare ye the way of the Lord, repent, be baptized. Baptizing all these people. One day he baptizes Jesus. And remember, he announces Christ's coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of all mankind. And he baptizes him. By the time you get to John chapter 3, the disciples of John the Baptist are coming to him saying, hey, remember your first cousin? A bunch of our people are leaving to go follow him. What are we going to do about this? You know, in, in some of your worlds, they'd say, hey, we're losing market share. There's somebody else that's getting all the attention. And John the Baptist, he knows who he is and he knows who he's not. And he says, look, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to tie that guy's sandals. And then he says this. It's the point of the whole message, that he must increase and I must decrease. It's what Paul was saying here. Don't worship me. He must increase and I must decrease. And, and I don't know what that looks like in your world, right? I work at church all the time. But I know this, that some of you are going to go out this week and you're going to do some great things at work. And people are going to praise you. And listen, it's okay. It feels good, doesn't it? I mean, it feels good. You can just admit it. It's all right. That, that when people tell you how awesome you are, you think, well, you know what? It's about time y'all recognize how awesome. I mean, it kind of starts to begin to stir in you a little bit. And when you begin to get that praise, let me just give you some warning. Uh, first, be grateful. Receive that encouragement and be grateful, but not for too long. Not for too long. You ought, to, you ought to take it like a stick of chewing gum, all right? Take it, receive the praise, chew it up. Like, oh, that's sweet, and then you better spit it out because if you start swallowing that praise, my mama said it'll stay in there for like seven years and ruin your insides, and that's what will begin to happen if you start really believing. So when people start to praise you, then don't you believe it because they don't really know you, do they? They don't really know you. you. You think you're so impressive. You think you're so impressive. And when people come and tell you how impressive you are, I'm telling you, don't believe it. They don't even really know you. And, and don't, I mean, you definitely don't put your hope and trust in there because what can begin to happen is, is it's a trick. You begin to work for the applause of man instead of the applause of God. And the Bible says that may they see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. And so you better not believe it too much. Again, don't, you don't have to be weird about it, okay? I'm saying receive it gratefully. Say thank you. You know people are trying to encourage you, but don't hang on to it too much. And don't be weird. I'm not sure exactly how in your context you point them to the Lord. You don't have to Tebow it every time, you know, you do something good. Hey, Johnson, nice job on the sale. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I don't know if you need to do that. I would say not. That's weird. But, but. and then let me just warn you, don't take credit when you know God did it. Don't take credit when you know it's the Lord. When you just can't explain the success that you're having, then people want to tell you how great you are. Uh, in Galatians 1.10, I love it. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? And when you start, when your ears grow bigger and bigger and bigger to the, to the praise of people, you'll begin to make decisions to try to accomplish that. More praise, more praise, as opposed to obedience to God. And so, uh, you've got to figure out how to walk it out this week in your world, but... 
Just be driven by Philippians 2. It's what I want our church to be driven by. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul from prison writes these words. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. That your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus our Lord. You hear that? That your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he was almighty sovereign God. So who do we think we are when we try to get a lot of praise for us? So our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus our Lord, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant and poured himself out. Literally in Greek, that means emptied himself. See, we live in a culture that that lifts up those of us who are full of ourselves. And Jesus says that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus emptied himself for us, therefore in response that we should empty ourselves for him. And yet there's so many of us that are full of ourselves. Isn't that what social media is all about, right? Hey, look at me, I'm at the grocery store. Hey, look at me, I'm back home. Hey, look at me, I'm back at the grocery store. And you're like, 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 like. It's kind of the opposite of empty and full. And so, I don't know how you walked that out in your world, but I want to talk to you just for a few minutes on how I want to walk it out here at our church. This past, uh, this past week, Monday through Thursday, I was in Oregon. I had the unbelievable honor and privilege of being invited to this group of pastors. And the way you get invited into this um, kind of roundtable discussion, it's going to last for about two years. And the idea is there's, there's four or five mentor pastors, guys in their 50s and 60s, that have kind of been there, done that, got churches of at least 10,000 or more. They are pouring into um, uh, young pastors with fast-growing churches, all right? And I am very young, all right? I just want to establish that. I'm very, very young. Actually, the cutoff, I think, is 40, and so I made it by several months. I mean, I am so far under 40. Gretchen keeps telling me, you know you're about to turn 40. I'm like, it is a long way away, all right? September. Hold your breath till September. Tell me it ain't a long time, all right? It's a long time. So I wake up on Tuesday morning, and I just was overwhelmed with the goodness of God in my life, okay? Um, Of all the weeks of all the weeks to be marinating in Acts chapter 14, that Christ must increase and I must decrease. God lines it up in my life so that the week that I'm at this next generation leadership network thing, invite only with these pastors that I buy all their books and go to their conferences and now I'm sitting at the table with them. What text do I get to just be marinating on on all week? Don't worship me. Hey, all glory goes to God. And so as I thought about this week, I just thought about how can we walk this out here at the Church of 1122. And so um, these aren't necessarily rules, but just some things I just want to talk about, about how the Church of 1122 is going to walk out that Philippians chapter 2. That, that our attitude as a church needs to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And the first thing is this, um, it's not my church. It is not my church. So first and foremost, it's Jesus' church. He said he would build his church. And it's, but it's not my church. And a lot of times, you, and I know what you're trying to do. I really appreciate the encouragement. I appreciate the respect. I appreciate the honor. I'll talk about that in a second. But you'll come up to me and say things like, I go to your church. And here's what I want to say to you. If I go to this church and you go to this church, then isn't it our church? That this is just a family. Just a big old family. Now, I'm the lead pastor, and I I believe I've been appointed and anointed for it. And I'm not going to apologize for the anointing. I'm just going to walk in it. I'm going to be the lead pastor. But this is just a family 
My, my son doesn't come up to me and say, hey, can I go to lunch with your family? No, like, you're in the family too. And so I would like for us to just begin to use the language that this is our church. And so if you're in the family, then you got to claim it. That also means you're claiming a part of the responsibility too. Because I didn't invite all you people here. I don't even know you people, right? Somebody in the room said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And what you were, what you were inviting that person to, you're not inviting them to my church. You're inviting them to our church. We're just one big family. Um, also, uh, I, I've, seen some, I've seen some other pastors and some other churches kind of do some weird things. Um, uh, I, I know some pastors, and they, and they put the pastor's picture in all the children's room. Right, and we're never going to do that kind of thing here under my watch. And I ask them, I go, "What, bro? Really? Why you got your picture everywhere?" And they go, "Well, you know, we want our kids in this church to know who the pastor is." All right, I want our kids to know Jesus. All right, and uh, and and so in our classrooms, we're gonna have we're gonna have the Bible and the cross. We're gonna try to introduce people to Jesus. And I am, oh, I'm humbled beyond belief that I get to be like the lead servant in this place and be the lead pastor. But I don't care if people know me. That's not the point. It's why you'll never drive around Jacksonville and see a big old billboard with me going, come to my church. You know, like you ain't gonna see a big glamour photo of that. First of all, I think a big picture of me would probably deter people from coming to our church probably. And that's why, I mean, aren't you impressed with our marketing campaign? Yeah, we don't have one. We don't have one. Because everyone I've seen has a lot to do with, and we're not doing that whatsoever. And so we're just, we're just not going down that road. Um, and again, I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate the, the honor and the respect and the compliments, and I appreciate all of that. And I want this to be an encouraging church, okay? I really do. I want this to be an encouraging church. The Bible says encourage one another as long as it is called today. But I just got to tell you, I have not changed your life. Again, for most of you, I wish this weren't true, but I don't know you, and you don't really know me. And so I want to make sure God gets all the glory and, and I know what you're trying to say. And every, it, after all the services we've had so far, people are trying to say thanks, and they don't know how to say it now because I'm going to mess you all up. But what I'd like, what I like to hear, you know what encourages me the most? Is, is to hear what God has done in your life, what has changed in your life, what's more, more God-glorifying in your life. Because I just know that I cannot change a heart. Only God can. And if you want to encourage me just by saying, hey, look, God has changed my life, and, and thank you for being obedient to speak his word. That, something like that, that's, that's fine. But just know I haven't, changed anybody's life. I haven't changed your life. And I, and I really, really appreciate, again, I appreciate the honor and respect. I feel so respected as a pastor here. And I kind of like it when everybody's like, hey, Pastor Joby. It's kind of weird. I don't call you Banker Bob. Like, hey, Banker Bob, you know, hey, Pastor Joby. Like, we don't call each other Fireman Fred. You know, we don't do it that way. But, but I know what you're doing. It's kind of like when you coach something, you're called a coach. So I get it, and I appreciate it. It really does. It, it, it just, it honors me like crazy, and I appreciate it. But we want to make sure, I want to make sure that all the glory goes to Christ and to Christ alone because he's the only one, he's the only one that can change your heart. And let me just tell you this, if you put me on a pedestal, oh man, that fall is gonna, is gonna be a long fall because I promise you I will disappoint you. I promise you I'll disappoint you. I have no idea why God would choose me, just an overeducated redneck from Dillon, South Carolina to lead this phenomenal movement. I don't know, I don't know. But if you lift me up, you will be so disappointed. You lift Christ up, he'll never disappoint you. And I've already disappointed many of you. And if I haven't yet, just stick around long enough. I promise I will. Just ask Gretchen, okay? I promise I will. I won't call you back or I can't, you know, I, I've already disappointed people because I can't get to all the emails. I can't get to all the texts. I can't get to all the Facebook stuff. I just can't. I can't. 
And here's the thing. We want your needs to be met. We just know as a staff, I can't meet them all. I'm not very good at being omnipresent. If that were the case, I would be preaching here and at TPC simultaneously. I can't pull it off, okay? So I will disappoint you. Um, I, want, I want you to know this. Two, two more kind of down in the weeds, very specific things. Um, we've got a baptism coming up on June the 2nd. We're going to baptize over 300 people. I think we'll have six or eight lines. Amen, amen, amen. And, and I can't baptize everybody. So if you can't be in my line, no big deal. Because we're not baptizing people in my name. We're baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as a family, we'll gather around and we'll celebrate like crazy. And I understand, I understand if I got saved under some guy's ministry, I'd probably want the guy talking to dunk me too. I get it, but you just, I'm just telling you that this is going to be to proclaim your faith in Jesus, not me. And so after the thing's over, I'll eat your fried chicken and I'll hear your story and high-five you and we'll hang out all afternoon and it'll be awesome. It will be awesome. I'm going to be the last one to leave the beach that day. I'll hang out with everybody I can. I'd love, love, love to do that. But just don't get confused with the messenger and the message. Like, like if you won the Ed McMahon sweepstakes and you open up the mail, you wouldn't run out to the mailman and hug and kiss him. You would just think, he's just doing his job. He's delivering the message. I'm the mailman. That's all I am. Is I, just del- I didn't write it. I just deliver it. And so I want our church to love Jesus way more than it loves me. Let me tell you how this plays out. The next two weeks, I'm in Jamaica on a mission trip. And so if we're the kind of church that loves the gospel and loves Jesus more than the pastor, then the next two weeks' attendance should be the exact same. You know why? Because we're still just walking right through the book of Acts. Pastor Ryan's going to be the preacher, but that doesn't matter either. It could be any pastor anybody delivering the word of God. And when we, love, when we love the Lord more than the Lord's servants, then we don't have to call. You should never have to call again and say, hey, who's preaching this weekend? The Holy Spirit? That's how we're going to start answering. Carly, write that down. That's our new answer on the phone, right? Because <laughs> it ain't about us. It ain't about us. Because here's the thing. Preaching one day will come to an end. You realize that? That, that when we get to heaven, the only thing that's going to matter is Jesus. Not, not who's bringing the word. It's not like we're all going to be in heaven one day and the Lord's going to go, hey, Pastor Joby, could you preach a message? And I'd step up and be like, if you turn to Timothy, uh, uh, Paul was writing to Timothy about Ephesus. No, it's not at all. They're not going to ask me to do this anymore. You know what we're going to do? We're going to be gathered in this place and it's all going to be about him. It's all going to be about Jesus. We're going to be surrounding the throne of Jesus. And so our job, amen, our job here on earth, it's a dress rehearsal for what heaven will be about. And so who was and is and is to come, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we will join with every, every race and every tribe and every tongue from people in generations past to generations beyond us. And all who love Jesus will gather around his throne. And it won't be about any person there. It won't be about any person there because then, now we see in part, but then we will see in full. And, and we'll all, we'll know that God put each other in our lives to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to point each other to Him, but we're just excess baggage compared to seeing Him face to face. And so I don't want us to get confused in the meantime. And so sometimes one of, one of Satan's favorite twists is to take a good thing and try to make it a God thing in your life just so that you can be infinitely disappointed. And so don't put any idol, don't put any idol in your life. 
whether it's me or our church or our staff or your family or your mom or your kids or any of those things because they'll let you down. We want to be a church that worships Jesus and Jesus alone. We love him, and because he loves us, then we can love one another and encourage one another and spur one another on for Christ's sake and not our own. Would you please stand and pray with me? Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you that we can love you because you first love us. Lord, I pray that this would be a gospel-centered, cross-focused, God-glorifying movement of people. That, God, that we would not be enamored by worldly success, by size of a church, by magazine articles or any of that stuff. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. Lord, we pray that if anybody would see any of that stuff, that they would see it as a reflection of the love of the Heavenly Father, and that's it. Lord, we just, we lay our entire staff and this whole church on your altar. If there's anything, anything that gets in the way of people seeing you on the cross, God, just move it out of the way, including me. And Lord, may we demonstrate an attitude just like your attitude. May we empty ourselves in your name so that other people could know that you emptied yourself for them. We pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.